It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and we are joined by our producer, co-host, and friend, Matt Kelly. And we are going to talk about one of our favorite films, favorite Mel Brooks films, Young Frankenstein. to do this one in October, but then our October just got stacked. It but got flooded with spooky things. Flooded with spooky things and flooded with some of our like most downloaded episodes. Uh, I do want to take a quick second to celebrate that like our stats are doing really well. People are listening to the show and sharing the show and we appreciate that. That makes so. me so happy because I mean, obviously it's like we do this because we love it and Matt and I just love sitting together with microphones and talking about things we love and just me being on crack, being like, bah! it's a passion. Yeah. But it really makes me so happy to hear that and that I can bring my joy to possibly hopefully bring you listeners joy, make you uh, giggle a little and learn something new that you might not have known or just be able to listen to me and shake your head and be like, this girl's crazy and make you feel better about this yourself. This girl is insane. She's yeah, insane the, and I feel good about myself. If that's what I'm doing for you, then you know what? Yay. The world's still turning around to be a better place. The perfect takeaway. <laughs> anyway, we had talked about doing this and I mean, it's a movie that we both love. We've done mm-hmm. just like a very brief overview of Mel Brooks and we said that we were going to do deeper dives into different oh, films yeah. of his. There's still more coming. So let's go... Let's go into one of them that I think is widely considered his best. I think it's his highest rated movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And with good reason. Young Frankenstein. Yeah. It's, um, he considers it 
his the best film he's ever made. He doesn't consider it the funniest film he's ever made, but he does say that this is the best. And I actually, I've seen it a million times. I watched it two weeks ago and I was watching it again this morning. It just never gets old. And even the way it's shot, and he really wanted to make sure that he did it justice from a cinematography aspect and really give ode to the original 1930s Frankenstein. But it it's a beautiful film. Take out the comedy and take out the, you know, things we love about it. But the lighting, the angles it's shot at, it's it's really a beautifully shot film. Well, beyond that, one of the things that I realized with this movie is that because of the way it's shot, because of the TLC that's that's put into it, it's also the only Mel Brooks movie that you could feasibly consider a sequel to the franchise that it's a parody of. Um, there's mm-hmm. there's a line of dialogue even where they say, like, we've gone through this six times already. Right. And at that time, there were six Frankenstein movies. And while that is, like, a funny line, it doesn't... It's not breaking... You know, like, with, with Spaceballs, you're hitting beat by beat the plot line of Spaceballs versus this movie where it's acknowledging that the first Frankenstein movie happened. Existed, yeah. There's um, Frankenstein, (laughs) the Bride of Frankenstein, the Son of Frankenstein, the Ghost of Frankenstein. Those were all 1931, 1935, 39, and 42. Um, Yeah, and then I think there was House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, which are like pseudo-sequels of the same... That's part of that giant like universal multiverse where they're like, let's just throw all of the monsters and movies together for a little bit. But... Like, I think that that's really cool. I think that it's cool that this is... And and that you have to give the credit to Gene Wilder because that is a very Gene Wilder idea when you look at a lot of the other movies that Gene Wilder has made. Like, you know, it's like what Sherlock's like... Mm-hmm. Younger brother. brother or something. Yeah. Yeah, like younger... Like, like, he didn't want to make parodies as much as like comedic sequels to films that he, he loved which I love um, that because there there are so many parodies and obviously that's Mel Brooks is like the king of that and it so it's kind of a fun take to it brings something different to the table than yeah the parodies that were already kind of a thing mm-hmm. yeah it it it's got its own style and this is one that like I I think I've abused and overused the phrase warm blanket, but it's such a good way to describe some of these things. And Young Frankenstein is such a warm blanket to me. It's a it's a movie that I've watched since I was like six. This was definitely a film that I would watch with my grandfather. This was a movie that I would make other kids in my grade watch if they were unlucky enough to be staying at my house. Like, it yeah. was just it's, like, you know, I was it's, like, no, no, it's great. It is. It's funny. <laughs> I... I can't say this is one that I originally grew up with from like young, young, like Robin Hood Men in Tights. I've never not known that movie. That was one that like, I was like, oh, these jokes went over my head. I was four years old watching this. And, you know, so like Robin Hood to me is that warm blanket feeling. And then um, I want to say the first DVD my family ever got, I remember, I think it was my dad's birthday and we had just gotten a DVD player. They first time they came out and the first DVD my mom bought my father was Blazing Saddles. And, and I'll kind of tie this into an awesome transition, but um, I wasn't allowed to watch that at the time of her gifting that because it was still, they were like, this is too inappropriate for you kids. And then I do remember the first time we watched Blazing Saddles, which might be my favorite Mel Brooks movie, but it was when Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks were shooting Blazing Saddles that Gene started writing this, I'm, I'm going to use everyone's first name basis, like we're really good friends, so Gene yeah. and I, um, 
Gene was kind of scribbling on, I think he said a legal notepad and, and Mel went over and was like, what are you working on? And he was like, oh, I've got this idea for a sequel, Young Frankenstein. And, and he pitched it to him while they were doing Blazing Saddles and it kind of was like, all right, this is a great idea. Let's do this together. So they co-wrote it. And actually, technically, Brooks's first payment for the movie was $57 because he went over um, to talk to Gene Wilder about it and said, like, I want to do this with you and and pitched it. And he asked Wilder if he had any money on him. He says, I have 57. He goes, it's a start. I'll take it. And that was kind of the first payment he gave Mel Brooks <laughs> to start it. And I, I love that story because it just is such their dynamic. But another thing about... Um, the agreeing to do it, and, and when they did it, is Gene Wilder insisted that Mel Brooks not appear in this movie. It's, yes, I think the I, only this is my favorite fact. Yeah, it's about the only movie. Mel Brooks movie that Mel Brooks himself is not in it. In some, he does the voiceover um, when you first see the lab- uh, laboratory, and you hear like the voice of Doctor Frankenstein talking about like what happened there. Kind of that is Mel Brooks's voice, but. Um, he asked him, and this is a quote that Mel Brooks said when he was recalling it. He goes, I said, am I such a bad actor? He said, no, but you're always breaking the fourth wall and you're always surprising and there's a lot of anarchy in you. I don't want it to be a crazy comedy. I want it to be a real movie with natural comedy. I said, you're absolutely right. That's the way we'll do it. So Gene Wilder felt that anytime you see Mel Brooks on st- on screen, you already can't take him seriously. It's You can't. That, that was, the, my brother always consolidated to just that. That he was like, the too long didn't read version of that quote is literally just like you are incapable of not making something into a joke when you're a part of exactly it. and they wanted it to be like this real which they do they make it the authentic that's why they wanted to shoot it in black and white it was really important which that was a huge they first um went to columbia with the film and Columbia was like, yeah, we'll do it, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, great. We want to do black and white. And they're like, no, we won't make a black and white movie in 1974. That's that's crazy. So they went to Fox instead. And Fox was like, yep, we surely will. Yep. And um, Fox it's, was also responsible of uh, giving Star Wars a chance. So good for you, Fox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's also one of those things where with this movie, um, as a person who loves horror movies and mm-hmm. who loves comedy – there, there is this really fine line of doing a horror comedy that can still function as the horror movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And not that there's anything that's horrific in this movie, but there's nothing that's horrific in any of the other Universal Frankenstein movies. Right. But but it holds up to it. This, this feels like a Frankenstein sequel that has jokes scattered amongst it more than a mockery of what the Frankenstein stuff is. I know that we've brought that up a couple of times, but it's, it's worth really driving home because it is a delicate line to walk. And you couldn't make a movie like young Frankenstein. If you didn't have such a passionate love for the source material mm-hmm. that you were, you were basing it on. And that's where just like the, the way that it bounces between moments that feel so authentic to a Frankenstein sequel to really outrageous goofy scenes to also just these very subtle brilliant lines of dialogue that just like find their way into the movie in like these like you have to think about it for a minute mm-hmm. type jokes in it, there you as do well. some like, of them it's... god i just am rolling on the floor i mean how many times have we each probably seen this movie it can't even yeah. count and it you laugh just as hard every time and you laugh at new yeah. things every time it's like that's what i love about it is the the actors are so brilliant in their delivery that 
it does. And no one, this movie would not be, of course, what it is without Gene Wilder. I mean, he, it was his baby. He had the idea first. He wrote it. But the way he delivers this character and, and the performance he gives is just brilliant. I have a very soft spot for Gene Wilder. I absolutely, I recommend his book, Kissing Strangers, um, the audiobook. He actually reads it, so it's great. I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I already loved him, but I actually romantically like fell in love with him listening to his book. I was like, I'm in love with this man. Yeah. No, he is one of the... He's one of those people who he could have been the biggest star in the world, and I would still say he's underrated. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think people appreciate Absolutely. how truly great he is. He's so talented. Um, but also, we're throwing a lot of praise on Mel and Gene Wilder, which, valid. But also, we have to call up just an amazing cast with Madeline Kahn mm. just crushing it in this movie. Marty, F- uh, was it Marty Feldman? Feldman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Feldman, Peter Boyle, Cloris Leachman. She's like there, and and Terry Gar. Like yeah, so Terry Gar, all amazing. It was interesting. I'll kind of talk about each of them getting the parts, but um, Terry Gar was born into an entertainment family. Her father was in vaudeville, and her mother, I believe, was in wardrobe or set design. And and so her mother was working on this project and was like, "Oh, I'm on a new Mel Brooks project." She's like, "What is it?" She goes, "Oh, it's Young Frankenstein. It's not fully cast." And so she immediately was like, "I have to go in for this." And hadn't really done much before. She was kind of the amateur on set, but she went in for Elizabeth, the fiance, and she said she went to a casting call of like 500 girls. And so you know, I'm just hearing this, like, God, it's crazy. And and she went in and read, and they. Mel said, you know, it's it's great, but actually we want to give the part to Madeline Kahn. Who, they had already kind of decided that because Madeline Kahn was also doing Blazing Saddles in one of my favorite roles she plays. Um, that'll be a whole, I, I guarantee you we will. We have we, to do a Blazing Saddles A thousand episode. fucking percent will do Blazing Saddles because again, <laughs> it is my number one. But they already decided they wanted to go with Madeline Kahn. So he goes, can you do a German accent? She's like, yeah, I, I can do it. And he goes, okay, come back tomorrow for Inga. So she said she went that night and um, she had been working on the Sunny and Cher show at the time and there was a woman in hair and makeup I think she was the hair wig lady that was from Germany and so she goes I basically just imitated her and she was talking about how she would say you know like come over to the seat we need to do your hair or like whatever and uh and so she's like I just went in and and did her and so it worked and it got cast um and I think she does such a great job and I I love stories like that where you are watching and it's just like she's just emulating the hair woman from the Sunny and Cher show but yeah. She does such a great job and, and she plays and she even said she knew it's going to be a lot of tits and ass jokes. And so she had, she's like, I stuffed socks in my bra and she goes, my mom helped me, <laughs> which I love because it, yeah. it made me think of my dynamic with my mom that <laughs> she would do the exact same thing where I'm like, I need to make my tits bigger. Mom, how do I do this? And okay. But you know what's funny is as a kid, as a kid watching this, like I got that there was boob jokes. I didn't get the boob jokes really. Like I was probably, you know, much it was probably like the 20 or 30th view before i got the what knockers joke i was just you know saying I mean? that like, oh it was thank just, you doctor yeah, but it's, it's like, so good my, from, we say that a lot in my family actually if, if we but, see big knockers first, it's like literally door knockers yeah. what knockers <laughs> uh but the but the but from the very first view the roland zahay song has like lived rent yes. free in my brain i remember anytime i go that. on a hayride at halloween time i'm like did you like Rolling the hay? I remember talking about that on the playground. So I still was quite young when I watched this movie. Actually, now that I think about yeah. it, I remember talking to a f- friend who had seen it. We were like the only two, and we we're 
And I think she's the one on the playground that told me what rolling the hay meant because her mom had told her and I was like, oh. And then she told me what it meant, yeah, but I still nope, didn't really I, know what that meant. You know, we would, that's back yeah. on the playground, we'd have debates of what we thought being a virgin meant. And we're like, it means someone's seen yeah. your boobs or not. Like, I believed that for a while. But <laughs> anyways, <laughs> do not laugh at me, man. And Speak, that's why you're still a virgin, And Kelsey. that's why I'm still a virgin. <laughs> yeah, no one's, no one's seen my boobs. Yeah, not off stage, um, on stage, whatever. I'm not going into that. Um, you know what, burlesque. But I, speaking of how much we're, this will probably happen this whole episode that every time we bring up a joke from, you know, you, we just said what knockers and I, I still am laughing. I watched it an hour ago. I watched it on the movie and laughed just as hard now. But Mel Brooks said he was talking about why he thinks people go back. You know, it's like we love new material and we laugh at new material, but why we almost laugh harder at things we know we've heard the joke before we know they're coming but he said the big jokes are like old pals and you just want to see them again and I loved that it's back to that warm blanket idea that these jokes are like old pals and it's you can't wait to see them and I I, he said that and I was like that has never been worded so eloquently that I completely agree with and it's you just you laugh harder every time and Oh God, there's, there's so many, I, I wrote down some of the ones, like, I'm not going to go through the classic lines per se that are like, oh, these are the famous ones, but the ones that every single time almost have me to tears, but I'm on the floor. My dad and I, it's just, this line reminds me of my dad so much in the beginning when he's in giving the presentation and uh, the old man is on the table and he goes, if you would please hop off the table and he struggles to get off. Nice hopping. That, my dad and I must say that for everything. And we, it just, it gets funnier every time. And it's, again, Gene's delivery of just so subtle. And so it's, it makes me laugh so hard every time. But I think, so there's something else though. And, and I think that, I think that Mel's breakdown of why we revisit things, Mm -hmm. um, is is true for I was about to say the common folk. Like, <laughs> the, it's, peasants, it's it's true for like, the peasants. Just say that the peasants. The peasants. Yeah. <laughs> but but like I, I do think that there are people who are in, in any type of artistic pursuit. And I think about this even from like I'm not a gymnast. I am not an athletic person. But I enjoy watching something like wrestling because there's this element of like you're just in all of the amount of physical work that's going into yeah. to putting on the performance that they're putting on. And I think this movie is one of those prime films where if you even just remotely like the construction of jokes, this is such a like beautiful blueprint of just like mm-hmm. top-notch joke writing and wordplay. Like one of the lines that I think about way more than I have any business thinking about is when they're going to the castle and you hear the wolf howl. That's it's written down for goes, me too. Yep. Werewolf. She says werewolf and werewolf there. Werewolf. What? Werewolf. There. <laughs> Why are you talking like that? I thought you wanted to. No, I don't. He's just so like, it's so I my dad and I do that one. T- I didn't realize how much like I said it's I think Blazing Saddles, um dra- definitely Dracula and it's those are the ones like that I quote a lot in my life, but every time I watch this movie and I've watched it just as much, I'm always surprised at how much more this is in my life than I ever give it credit and how much almost to a daily I quote these and it's uh, my dad and I I everything I say it's like my dad and I say this my dad and I, we always do that yeah. if anything well, the, I'll be like there where's the restaurant those, there are yeah. those <laughs> there there yeah. are restaurants well, there, like, <laughs> <laughs> well there's also lines that you just use out of context and people will never know mm-hmm. like I multiple times have used the uh Igor line 
Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. We say that all the time. If ever we pronounce something wrong or we're reading, I'll, I'll be like, oh, it's this. And he goes, well, they're wrong. And it's Marty Feldman's performance in this. I mean, he was born for this role. I mean, he was born for comedy. He just has, I love that he kind of went, went with it with his life and, and whatnot. And it's, but this, this role, I think is, no one could have played it better, and I don't think there's any other part that he's played that is just so perfect for him. And I think he added a few lines making fun of himself. I think I read somewhere that he added the damn your eyes too late mm-hmm. line. <laughs> he said something in an interview once that he's like, you know, oh, Peter Boyle sits in makeup for hours to look like the monster, and I take I play the side or weirdo and it takes five minutes of powder and I'm ready or, you know, something along. (laughs) It's obviously, obviously he has a great sense of humor, but you know, obviously he, he doesn't take things too seriously, which I love. And it really plays. And it's his, I noticed too, it's a lot of times Mel Brooks does this beautifully in all of his movies of when he decides to break the fourth wall, it's not a continuous thing so that when the fourth wall does get broken, it just makes it that much funnier that when you, they do look at the camera it's so rare that it's so much more effective. And he's, aside from, I want to say the only other time that it's not him is Peter Boyle as the monster when the little girl, one of my favorite, what else should we throw in the well? And he looks at the camera and rolls his eyes. Like, it's just like perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. But yeah. I, I want to say Marty Feldman's the only one, aside from that moment, that does break the fourth wall. And Yeah, it's like he's the only one that's aware that there's even a camera. Exactly. There. And like, it, it's, it works. It's just so with his kind of, it's almost like he's just taking the piss out of it. And I I was watching um, some outtakes on YouTube of this, which I was laughing just as hard. You, Gene Wilder was the worst. He would laugh. He would break all the time. And one of the scenes, well, there's two scenes I want to talk about. But speaking of Marty Feldman, the scene where he's like, won't you help me with the luggage? He's like, you take the blonde. I'll take the one in the toy bin. And then yeah, he bites on the, the fur. Marks. Yeah. And he um, takes a piece of the fur. And they they did this like 20 times. There's like 20 takes on there. And they keep laughing. And Madeline Kahn actually held her shit together. But there's one. She like looks back and she loses it. Because he's got the big piece of fur. But... Then he's like, grab the luggage, help help me in or whatever. And, and he walks in and then Gene starts laughing and Marty Feldman falls and like crushes the luggage and smashes it. And he's like on the ground laughing and they're just dying in stitches. But um, one of the scenes that Gene Wilder like could not get through was when they're going up the stairs and Cloris Leachman is leading them up and saying, uh, stay close to the candles. The staircase can be treacherous. And... <laughs> She said that she did the line. She said the the staircase can be treacherous. And Mel Brooks came up to her and whispered something in her ear. And she goes, okay, action. And she did it that way instead of the can be treacherous, the can be treacherous, as if they've lost a few on the way. Or, you know, it's like, and she said she did that. And he just, she would say the first line and Gene Wilder could not hold it together. And she, it was just one of the ones that it couldn't, couldn't go in. And this scene, actually, Mel Brooks gave all of the cast members or the crew white handkerchiefs to stifle laughs because everyone was laughing so much and they didn't want to keep ruining takes. So he handed out handkerchiefs so that they could like muffle their laughs. And he said, every once in a while, I turn around and see a sea of white handkerchiefs. And I said, I got a hit. And that was, it was, yeah, great. But they're, um, who said, oh, Cloris Leachman said that she went to watch one day on set and she ruined a take because, and it's one of my favorite scenes and another one my dad and I always say, and I laughed this morning too watching it, put 
the candle the back. Candle and we back. all love that part, but it's <laughs> after he does it, it's funny, but there's something about when she does it that is so yeah. funny. And and she said she ruined a take because she was watching on the set. Um, which this is one of those movies that they said Peter Boyle would come on his day off and just hang out and be on set. And they're like, oh, you working today? Nope. And he just wanted to see what was going on and watch. And that I, I love hearing. You love those stories about films. Yeah. Oh my gosh, and so it's much. you hear. But another fun thing about um, being on set is Peter Boyle found love on this set, which is kind of fitting uh-huh. because the monster, that's the theme of this movie in the traditional Frankenstein is that the monster is trying to find love. But um he met Rolling Stone reporter Lorraine Alderman, who was doing an interview with Mel Brooks, and still in his monster makeup, he asked her out, and they were married in 1977 and remained married for the rest of his life. So I thought that was really sweet. Oh, hell yeah. I know. I loved That's that. That's always good to hear. I know. It was... It was uh, mm. And Peter Boyle, credit to Peter Boyle, a, a character that has no lines until the last like five minutes of the movie and still provides so much comedic relief just in like a glance with his eye or a twitch of his cheek. Oh, like it's like he plays it so it, some of the scenes beautifully, like actually just like he's a great actor and you see it in those like you you can feel for the creature. He does what you need to do if you're playing it straight and he does it beautifully. But then, yes, the the little even where he groans and they said that he made up the kind of mm, what you made a yummy sound yeah. no it didn't <laughs> i love that um <laughs> but it is true it's it's every eye roll every it's when the mug gets broken by the blind man and his reaction the to sadness that. it's just oh. oh it's so good and the blind man scene alone is is a master class in in two different types of acting yeah well i mean gene got, hackman is yeah gene hackman's just motor mouth in it just like beautifully playing dialogue. it, you feel yeah. like you're watching an old, like brilliant 1931. Oh, he was a Shakespeare, you know, like it, he because he's yeah. such a great actor. And well, so uh, you know what? I'll get. I want to jump back to that in a second. But yes, he's like given 110 percent, speaking a mile a minute. You get everything you need to know about this one scene character just in the way he's performing it. But then you have. Peter Boyle with no lines of dialogue, just showing like frustration, sadness, concern, annoyance throughout like this entire, this entire time. Gene Hackman's doing something that uh, there's a movie that if you haven't seen it, you should absolutely see it because it's so up your alley called The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. Have you ever heard of this movie? Mm-hmm. So it was made in, I want to say like 2002, 2003. And it was a group of actors. Many of them were like Oscar and like Emmy and Tony nominated actors who decided to go out and shoot a 1950s bad sci-fi movie okay. about a killer skeleton. Um, but when you listen to the commentary tracks, they talk about like, you know, the one character is playing a, a scientist. And he's like, I, as an actor, I'm not playing the scientist. I'm playing the actor who's playing the scientist like that. And that was like the big divide. He's like, so for this character, it's like this guy is like one roll away from just hanging it up. Uh So he's like, like, so each one of them, instead of sitting there and creating what the motivations were of the character in the scene, they were thinking of the motivations of the actor in the fifties who had to play this character. That's brilliant. I got to watch this. This is like right up my alley. So, but, 
But I feel like Gene Hackman did that same thing where he didn't walk in there and was Gene Hackman as the blind man. He's like, all right, who would the actor the 30s. playing this character in the yeah. 30s do? Well, and like, it's, I love that's so true. I, I didn't even ever wouldn't have thought of it that way. But it's um, yeah, yeah. It, he only did it because he wanted to give comedy a try him him and other Gene. So both Gene's were playing tennis one day and they had done Bonnie and Clyde. So he had said, oh, Gene Wilder, what are you up to? And and. Wilder was like, oh, I'm making a Brooks movie, a Young Frankenstein. And he says, um, asked if there was any part in that crazy, quote, crazy movie. And he said, oh, there's a blind priest. And he's like, yeah, I, I, Hackman was like, I want to do that. So he he got that part to give it a shot. But he says, uh, or not says, but Hackman improvised the last line to the, I was going to make espresso. Or, yeah, I was going <laughs> to make espresso. Oh, it's so good. And he is really fun. Like, yeah. he's perfect in those Wes Anderson movies where it's like you give him like an insane line of dialogue and he delivers it with such sincerity that it's like it's funny and heartbreaking all at once. Mm-hmm. Like, I think of him as Royal in Royal Tenenbaums. And it's like, he's so long. He, he, but he's so funny in a way that's not laugh out loud funny, but you're just like caught up with it. You know what? We've talked about all the characters in the castle, but we there's one character we haven't talked about that needs to be mentioned, which is Inspector Klimp. So great. So I'm like just scrolling through IMDb's quotes, and the, the first one that I saw from him was, you know, we had better confirm the fact that young Frankenstein is indeed wallowing in his grandfather's footsteps. <laughs> and, like, and everyone's confused. He's like, following in his grandfather's footsteps. Yeah, he just cleared. His footsteps, his footsteps. footsteps. <laughs> yeah, and he like, da, 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 da. footsteps, footsteps. <laughs> it's so, so good. <laughs> see shit like that. That's, and speaking of uh, making noise with your feet, that's going to segue right into, we got to, we got to talk about putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. Gotta, Another one of those things that I will, I will literally be in my car listening to actual versions of putting on the Ritz, be it like the eighties version. Put on Ritz. So <laughs> that was a Gene Wilder idea. And I will quote, this is what Wilder said. So he says, one night he, talking about Mel Brooks, one night he came over and he looks at the pages and says, you tap dance to Irving Berlin and, Berlin and top hats and tails with the monster? He said, are you crazy? It's frivolous. I started to argue. Then I argued for about 20 minutes until I was at least red in the face. I think it may have been blue. And of all of a sudden he says, okay, it's in. And I said, well, why did you make put me through this? He said, because I wasn't sure if it was right or not. And if you didn't argue for it, I knew it would be wrong. But if you really argued, I knew it was right. So he had to fight for it. And that was Mel's way of testing if this was a good idea or not. And I kind of love that. I mean, it's funny to think. I, you could I, s- almost hear Wilder being like, why did you make me do that? Like if you were, but yeah. it is. And it's it's probably the most iconic. I, I still don't think it's the funniest moment of the film at all, but it is the most iconic part that everyone remembers. And it's even as little as when he kind of points to the monster and he does the little, um, he should be doing a rotating like sh- side shuffle around uh, a little tap, yeah. but he just kind of like just turns, but it's like all the tap noises and he's not really tapping. And that is so funny in itself. It's just so brilliant. I, uh, so I, a, I understand why Mel did what he did though, because I think that if I, if I was in Mel's shoes, I would do the same thing. And I say that because, that is the only like 
stepping out of the reality of all of the Frankenstein world that you've built moment. Yes. In that movie. Which it is it so work, outrageous. Though. I think that because yeah. it's the only time we do that, and, and it's still in the same, you know, you have the black and white, the lighting, it's the spectacle of the theatrical like I'm presenting the monster and then to just throw that in if it was done anywhere else in the film it wouldn't have worked to do it twice but that's what makes yeah. it so- but I get why he challenged yeah, it yeah I get why he was like you need to prove to me that you really think that this needs to be here because it is going to break the reality of your movie for at least five minutes mm-hmm. um but the other thing what you were talking about with the young Frankenstein tap this year earlier this year I produced a two-hour-long drag show charity event on Twitch, which was a ton of fun. And it was uh, this drag queen, Biddy B, who's been on the show before, talking about We Didn't Stop the Fire. And and his collaborator, uh, Allie, who's who's a friend of mine. And I forget what song they were doing. It was a Sutton Foster song. I think it was Forget About That Boy. There's a big tap part in the song. And they're singing to a track and it was so funny to watch on Twitch because they obviously have the cameras so it's just showing the upper halves of their body. So they 100% just made sure that the tap sounds were in the track and, just kinda... and they're just standing in front of the cameras with the hands up doing like... The... <laughs> it is. It's such <laughs> a like <laughs> done trick over and over and over again. The but Muppets it works Most Wanted, every... they did it, Ricky Gervais yeah. dance and then they it... have a double on the feet and it's, it makes me laugh every time. It's it's every so time funny. it always works one of so similarly to the putting on a ritz scene gene wilder introduces it and it reminds me since we brought up the muppets of one of my favorite muppet show bits which is kermit doing happy feet mm-hmm. um where i'm not sure if you remember the way that that segment starts in the show but he's like all right ladies and gentlemen at the start of the show we're going to answer the age-old question can a frog tap dance and for that i say Hit it! <laughs> like the song yeah. starts playing. And it's it like, is. There's, there's it's something the about same, the out of nowhere like, hit it that it. Yeah, like, but yeah, Gene Wilder does the, you know, it's like, and I'm going to shoot, prove that we can make him a man about that. <laughs> That's what I do love. <laughs> like, it's, which, the way you just said that also reminds me of another line I love after he's, you know, the monster. Uh, and he's like trying everything, like, no, stop, sit, that. Hello, handsome. And it just tries to go with the other, like, <laughs> sweet talking him. And it's so hilarious in that, which brings me back. I can't not, there's two more lines that just bring me to fucking stitches every time. And it's when the monster first comes alive and they have the sedative ready and he's trying to three words, first word, said, and they're playing charades to set a give, give him a set of give. And he goes, finally gets it done. Set a give. And when he yells set a give, I laugh. Oh God, the way he says it, it's just so Funny. He said a dirty word. <laughs> he said a dirty word. <laughs> you could just hear the like, you fucking idiot. And like, it's the way he just says it. I I laugh probably harder every time he says said a give. Gene Wilder might be, I haven't thought about this long enough to be fully convinced of this statement, but Gene Wilder might be one of the most talented people for comedically yelling a word. Oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> this- He's... Like, there's something about the delivery that he does when he's yelling that is so funny to me. I always think of, like, the producers where he's yelling about, like, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. And then they throw water. And he's like, and now I'm wet. I'm anxious and I'm wet. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so good. He's, which is kind of.
kind of why, okay, we, we, we'll we do this more in Blazing Saddles, but I kind of love the role he plays in Blazing Saddles because it's very different from any of those. Yeah, it's very subdued. Gene. <laughs> he does get riled up. He does it in Willy Wonka. He kind of has that madman. And in Blazing Saddles, he's he's so cool. and, and he, But he's so good at it. But anyways, we'll, we'll talk about a different one. Um, the last line that I, I have to mention and it just makes me laugh every time is when Cloris Leachman's going up the stairs playing, you played the violin, yes, you did this, and you and my grandfather, yes, say it, he was my boyfriend! I, <laughs> I can't not die <laughs> laughing at that. I just, it's so good. It's another one my dad and I will say, but um, it's it's great. And she said, actually, she was didn't really have a good German accent. She's like, I was, I came the night before and was just like, I got to have a German accent. She goes, I looked everywhere for it. I went on set and looked under every chair and behind every door for it, which I love that. <laughs> and it kind of now you listen to it, it almost makes it more comical that it's just kind of like not as as clean as as per se. Terry Gars, you know, does a great German yeah. accent. And it's just. Please. Well, and then Madeline, Madeline Kahn's just in there being Madeline Kahn. Oh, which she's so, uh, let's, let's talk about her for a second because. Obviously, the taffeta, darling, taffeta, no, taffeta, <laughs> when he blows her, you know, she's, he's trying to go in to give this embrace of love, a goodbye, and hair, nails, oh, just got the nails done, honey, um, but when he blows her <laughs> a kiss from the train, it was her idea to duck so that even the wind of the kiss being blown won't mess anything up for her party, which is just, of course, genius, and Matt, you texted me earlier this week saying I imagine how Madeline Kahn enters the bedroom is how you enter the bedroom and I started laughing so hard because I have already thought that when I've watched this movie before going that's me and you said but I'm not talking about with like a man in there just alone I said yes I know exactly how I that is exactly how I enter my bedroom alone for no one it's I've always kind of doing the like Madeline Kahn she comes Oh, that is, it's like it's a thousand percent me. I, I couldn't even. It's so. It, as soon as it happened, I'm like, I have gotten to know Gelsey well enough over the last year or two me. that I'm like, this is. There's no way that she doesn't do the full show and dance. The dramatic kicking the floor. I do that all the time. I had them on this morning and I did that. But not because I was like trying to mimic her. It's just something I do. I will like strip tease my robe off if I'm taking it off because I'm getting hot. Like, and there's no one in my apartment. Lord help the man that has to come into my life one day. And so. So, but you know, there's a quote. Sometimes there's quotes that aren't even necessarily that funny but they just live in my brain oh. and in in young frankenstein it's when gene wilder's on the train going to to the castle basically and it's like the same conversation happens in two different languages yes, yes, where it's yes. like but every day let him let him like it's, i think of that let him let him i forgot him about him. that that's right and i love this stupid it's little so pointless me, boy. it's like Is it has the transylvania station yeah yeah Truck 29. <laughs> hey, can I give you a shine? And then the way he breaks, no, no, thank you. Or <laughs> just, but it's, yeah. it's such a melt. That, that's so Mel Brooks to put that there. Well, we also have to mention the infamous story that Aerosmith went to the movie theater to see Frankenstein. I don't know this story. And found, oh, you don't no. know this story? They found Igor's Walk This Way joke so funny oh that they went to the studio and wrote the song Walk This oh Way. Oh my God, why did I not know that's that? In, yeah, that's inspired by the, the Walk This Way gag in Young Frankenstein. I absolutely love that. And it is, it's so, it's even, he's put it in a couple other of his movies. 
from here on out, it's in Robin Hood Men in Tights. It's in there's a couple of them he's put it in, but it is. It's great. He does well. He likes to repeat jokes in general oh, yeah. because the the hump joke comes back in Robin Hood. I have a Men mole. in Tights with the mole. <laughs> I have a mole. <laughs> my sister and I always talk what about hump? that when she's like, "Oh my god, is that mole?" Or you know, she got one removed. This that we always God. I'll be like, "Oh, how's your mole?" A mole. I have a mole. A fun. F- uh, yeah, here I just wanted to look it up. So the group was halfway through recording "Toys in the Attic" in early 1975. Um, they had written three or four songs for the album, and having to write the rest in the studio, they decided to give the song that Joe Perry had been working with some time, but they didn't have any lyrics or a title for it yet. They decided to take a break from recording, and the band and producer Jack Douglas went down to Times Square to see Mel Brooks's new film, Young Frankenstein. Returning to the studio, they continually laughed and quoted Marty Feldman telling Gene Wilder to follow him in the film, saying, walk this way while limping, and Douglas suggested that they just titled the song that, and then the lyrics came together from that. I love it. Oh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well done. Well done, Steven Tyler. I met Steven Tyler, and he's a really nice man. I was, I was really pleased by his sincerity and generosity and energy the band just has good songs oh, so that's I, but- <laughs> I saw them my dad and i went i think we flew to denver and saw aerosmith in concert and it was a great concert he's an incredible i mean duh like that's duh but yeah energetic singer yeah for sure. they're, they're yeah. brilliant that they're great performers but um switching tracks a little bit and talking about the set design and and whatnot brooks was able to track down kenneth strickfaden i'm guessing that's how you say that who originally created the electrical <laughs> equipment used in frankenstein's laboratory in 1931 and still had them in a garage in Santa Monica and after more than Love 40 that. years they threw the switch and the equipment still worked as it had in the original movie so a lot of the laboratory equipment is from the original Frankenstein movie which I thought was so cool yeah it is I mean I feel like we this is also weirdly one of the longest episodes we've ever recorded I'm not surprised which is, I knew we would just be like not Bah-h-h. surprised at all but I mean I uh, first of all, I love thinking of a situation where someone somehow hasn't watched Young Frankenstein, but decided to just check out our Young Frankenstein episode and is like, "What the fuck are they talking?" Hopefully, it about? Uh, inspires you to go watch the movie. That person who hasn't yeah, seen I it. mean, do we have any final thoughts? I guess um, on on Young Frankenstein. I just wanted to give one final fact thought, which is a good topper to finish off, but. Um, Mel Brooks is the last filmmaker to have two year end top five box office films. So it did very well in the theaters. It finished with 86.3 million in the box office and Blazing Saddles that year finished 119.6 million. So in the year of what was it would have been 1974, both Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein were on the top five. And that's never happened before. People think like, oh, Steven Spielberg. But it would have been 1993 with Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. But Schindler's List got beat out by Miss Doubtfire. <laughs> oh, I know. No. Sorry, sad. Uh, equally cultural significance. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, so that just shows how how brilliant Brooks is and um, how great Blazing Saddles also is, which again, we'll get to. But it, it really did well. And it's obviously not just did well. It's culturally... Probably one of his, like we said, best films. He even said it's the best film he's ever made. And probably his, I would say this might be his most significant film as far as popularity, notoriety, and whatnot. I think that against all odds, this movie has continued to stand the test of time, which is impressive for a movie that shooting it in black and white in 74 was taboo. And for it to 
you know, in 2022, it's still like we're talking this about this beloved, well-known movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good film, good pick, Elsie. Thanks. It is mind blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts, movies made of paper, wherever you get your podcasts. Free. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into One Hit Wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Pasta Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Hi, listeners. I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Kelsey, that was a long episode. I don't want us to harp too long on this outro segment, but there is one thing that we didn't talk about What? uh, that is worth calling out, which is the beautiful score that is that violin piece that plays throughout the movie. It really is gorgeous i was watching the film again today and uh yeah when it came on i I was thinking the exact same thing i was like this is really beautiful and it's supposedly we also didn't mention that um most people know this that they turned young frankenstein into a broadway musical in Mm -hmm. what was that 2003 yeah 2003 no i don't know whatever you guys get it they said that when the audience comes in when they just start that the audience would already start applauding when the overture would start and it's obviously because it's beautiful, but it's that people are there because they're excited. It's Young Frankenstein, but it is. It's a beautiful little ditty. And it's another one where it's like, I don't think people appreciate how hard it is to write a piece of music instrumentally for a movie that like stands the test of time, mm-hmm. right? Like how many movies have you watched that you love, but like probably couldn't pick out the musical score out of a lineup, but then you've got stuff like the pirates and back to the future. The pirates. You sound like an old person, like, Oh, the the kid and them and the the pirates pirates. and the pirates. But no, like you've got these, these franchise films that have these iconic scores, but you know, this is, this is really the only, this is the only Mel Brooks movie I can think of where the musical score is is as memorable, if not more memorable, than the actual like musical number pieces of it. You know I'm what I mean? sorry. Like, what about "Hero, the Blazing Saddles"? He. Did. But I would consider that a musical piece, not an okay. instrumental. Obviously, I love Blazing Saddles, you guys. 
I can't wait. Clearly. I love that. Clearly. But you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't tell you what the, like, soundtrack of, say, Spaceballs is, even though I love that movie. But I know, like, Spaceballs! Like, I know, like, the songs. I guess, like, Men in Tights, I kind of know, aside from the actual song, like... Yeah. A lot of Men in Tights, though, I think is just, like, an instrumental version of Marion just played, like, in different tempos throughout the film. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's just... It's just good. It's a good sound, and and yes, it's good. Uh, this movie I, is good. Yeah, that's the best review we can. <laughs> get. Is that it's, if you get a it's good from a us, good movie. then damn, that's the best you can. That's like yeah, tops. top notch. Um, where would who? Here's a here's a challenge. You ready to get really angry at me? Oh yeah. One of them. One of them has to go. You. Young Frankenstein. Some like it hot. That's ah. Uh. <laughs> oh my gosh, Matt! I think I go. I think I kill myself. <laughs> the world's a better place. You save the timeline through suicide. Yeah, it's one of those like really sad. Like the movie ends, and I'm like, this is the only way. But like, I can't take any of those away from the world. I will sacrifice myself. I volunteer as tribute to keep those movies in this world. I might say some like it hot has to I- go. I was gonna say if I have to choose as hot, much as I love some like it hot, I watch Young Frankenstein a lot more yeah, than I watch some like it. This hot. is just too genius of a, <laughs> and it's funny because I when I do like what are my top five favorite movies, some like it hot's always on there, and Young Frankenstein I can't say always is. It's kind of like a rotating slot, and I still think yeah. But the movie you watch more doesn't necessarily have to be the best movie. As as you and I's film-loving habits have further proved. But if there are a bunch of diehard Some Like It Hot fans that are screaming at their phones right now, how could you sacrifice that classic film for young Frankenstein? Where can they vent to they us? They can vent to us on Instagram. You can find us at beforemytime underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just search Before My Time. We will pop up right on our wall. Send us a DM. Let us know what sacrifice you would make. Would it be yourself like me? Would you be that brave hero as I am? I know I'm a saint. Also, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a five-star review or writing some nice words, it would really take us a long way and appreciate it so much. I also appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. And let's get those numbers better in November than October. Let's start challenging this just for funsies. But you know we're here because we love it. And I'm so happy that you find joy out of it too. See you next time. Bye. mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made 
So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.